We went big brain mode. The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Dropback Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Costanzo, and I'm joined as ever by Sam Lewis. Hey Joe. Matt Burns Peak. Hello, Joe. Let's see how many Cardinals references he has today. Stan Wilson. Well, thank you for that. I mean, I'll try not to include any. It's great to be Hopkinsing back into another episode of the Dropback Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got a lot to talk about today, actually. We've got a lot of news in the in the QB sphere, in the NFL QB sphere, with uh, the Watson debacle and uh, <laughs> this massive trade. Matt Stafford. Should we start off with Matt Stafford before we get into anything? Yes. So Matt Stafford... Uh, was traded to the Rams. The Rams have given up Jared Goff, two future first-round picks, and a third-round pick this year. Gentlemen, what do we think of that? Well, the Rams are playing the game in a completely different way to everyone else, aren't they? They hate first-round picks, don't they? Allergic to a move. Yeah, I like the move for the Rams. I mean, I don't mind the move from the Lions either. They get to stock up on picks, which they're desperately going to need for a rebuild. Mm -hmm. But the Rams, I mean... I don't think we're necessarily going to see a huge difference throughout the season. This move is about winning those playoff games and winning the games where their offense couldn't quite take them over the hump. I think Stafford's that difference maker that he can help, hopefully, while they're in this window, deliver the Rams a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. The Rams, I think, what they get like a pretty much what a lot of people were saying about Philip Rivers being sort of the Hall, Hall of Fame player who, who never makes never gets playoff wins a lot of the same can be said about Matt Stafford and I think he's been oh. playing Ooh, I don't know about that Joe I think Matty Stafford's in a different class to Philip Rivers I would say yeah Matt Stafford's got more natural talent but he's just never had a good team around him that's what we've always said and for him to go to the Rams with Sean McVay I think is extremely exciting I think mm. the Rams like Sue said like they don't really necessarily need the first round picks their last first round pick was Jared Goff so they've given that first round pick away for yeah Sean McVay has never had a first round pick with the Rams <laughs> they have put a lot of pressure on themselves to hit on these on the second rounds and later round picks. They've, they've been able to do it though haven't they they're an aging team and they've got a lot of free agents coming up they first of all they're going to have to sign a couple of those guys on the defense if they want to run it back anyway yeah and second of all if they don't hit those second third picks in the next couple of years they're going to be really looking at they're going to be in a similar situation to what the eagles are in now where they've got a hugely aging roster and they can't actually afford to revamp it they've been really good in the, in the middle rounds though the, the rams have really recent years yeah. but slew how long has it been since matt stafford has ever had a russian game Oh, I, I'm not saying on that front at all. I don't think that this, this move, putting Stafford in this offense, is going to be detrimental in any way. Nope. What it is going to do now, though, is we're going to have to see a lot. We're going to have to see Matthew Stafford prove that he is this top-level guy. I think because there's I never think been any question week about it. There's never been any question about his talent. But talent and being a great quarterback are two different things. I think he's going to be able to do it, considering the success. that the, So the best quarterback that's ever played in this scheme is Aaron Rodgers. And the success that he's been able to have in the scheme this year with in the Fleur's offense over in Green Bay exactly is MVP caliber season. He's going to win MVP like that. That's pretty much set in stone at this point. And to have another top tier, maybe even elite quarterback in Matt Stafford coming over into the McVay system, when it, and McVay is one of the most creative and just yeah, just downright elite play callers in the league. To have those two coming together, I think it's going to be very very special, and it's going to be. It's going to make life very hard for other NFC West teams. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm not doubting Matt Stafford's talent in any way. It's just to play devil's advocate a little bit. If he's as good a quarterback as we all think he is and can be, why have the Lions' offense never... I'm not saying their team, because QB wins are dumb, because you can't control what's going on in the defense, but he hasn't been able to consistently raise the level of the entire offense throughout um, his career. His wide receivers have been running the wrong route sometimes. I've seen like... Several tweets, that like, can't help. I know. I've seen several tweets all over Twitter this week 
of just there is a certain play where you see like two receivers on the same side of the formation they both run out at exactly the same level like just little miscommunications like that that have just really hurt the Lions yeah. and Matt Stafford over the years. Lions have... I, I think it's just too a positive outlook on Matt Stafford to absolve him of all of the blame in Detroit. He hasn't been good enough at times consistently to elevate that entire offense. You can't punish him for not being an elite quarterback, though. He's a, he's a great quarterback. That, that's, what that's what I'm saying is the difference between being very talented and being a top-level quarterback. I'm not saying he can't, but with yeah, he gets the advantage of Sean McVay coaching him, which is a huge benefit. So... But I'm saying he has never been a great quarterback at the position, not a talent. I just think I think that's harsh. Look at the the actual offensive coordinators and everything he's had around him when he's yeah. been there as well. The coaching has not been to stand, and hopefully that's going to change. But um, and it seems Dan Campbell's hiring good people in Detroit now, but it's yeah. too little, too late. He's going to a team with, by and large, one of the best offensive minds in the game, and Sean McVay. And he's never had that sort of system around him. He's he's had always had to be a, a gunslinging quarterback. His whole no, I, no, I, I agree. I just wanted to play devil's advocate for a little bit because it's fun. Yeah, you, but yeah, like you said before, the only weapon he's ever had is Megatron. That was it. Like he's never had another yeah. real. Yeah, yeah he's had a, one guy. He's had ten. He's only had like ten at hundred yard rushing games in his eleven seasons as a quarterback as well. With the, yeah. Lions. the Russian game has been completely. And this is what I mean. And the one, and the one year we said a top ten offense, they went eleven yeah. and five. Mm-hmm. And now the one, the year you're moving him over to the most quarterback friendly offense and scheme in the NFL, and he's already a great quarterback. I think that that just spells success all over. Yeah. Exactly. And also, the Rams lose any tie to Goff's contract in this as well, which we all were speaking about was a, a massive figure to be paying. Now Detroit incurs all of that, and they get. Um, Matt Stafford at a pretty decent price as well, like not even thirty million a year for Matt Stafford is it's pretty insane. Yeah, it's ju- just under, and that's uh, they got two years left of control of him as well. Exactly. I'm, I must say that this part of the deal, like, I think, firstly, this deal works for both both yeah, franchises. It's good for both of them. Yeah, but the the part of it that I dislike is the uh, the Lions swallowing that Jared Goff contract because I just think. I think we know what we're getting with Jared Goff at this point, and he—he's he, yeah, he, bang average. It doesn't, yeah, exactly. The output doesn't fit the contract, and when you're trying to rebuild, as Detroit clearly need to, it makes it more difficult when you've got a quarterback tied to a expensive contract, and especially if that quarterback doesn't justify that contract. I don't think it's a huge issue for them. I'd rather have that extra first round pick and swallow Jared Goff because I don't think he's You've got gonna... a bang average quarterback, yeah, but you've got a bang average quarterback with arm talent and get Jared Goff at least. He's, ex- he's, he's experienced too. He's experienced. He's been to a Super Bowl at the end of the day, so you can't say he's not experienced. And when he went to a Super Bowl, by the way, he threw for over 4,500 yards, 32 touchdowns and 12 picks. So that year he was particularly very good. So you, you can't say he's not had success in the in, a, in the NFL. I th- what I like about it about taking Jared Goff on is not obviously the expensive contract. You get a you get a bang average quarterback, but you also get the freedom of your first round picks for the next few years. You can use yeah, them on position. Don't have to use them on a quarterback as well. Exactly. You've got the number eight pick this year. You can use that to t- potentially take wide receiver. a wide receiver who yeah, he's he's just gonna change your game instantly, either like Jamal Chester, Devon Smith, Jaden Ward or someone like that. Or you can in a year or two take a quarterback, have him sit behind someone that will probably do a good job of teaching him because I don't think the mental aspect of it has been ever been Jared Goff's issue. It's been playing under pressure. And he's what got two years of when you can't cut him, so they're not going to be ready to compete exactly. in these two years anyway. Cool. Yeah, but the first so round picks aren't even they'll be able this to build year. up the roster. Like, that's what I mean. It's two future first round picks. This is obviously something that... up their first this year. That's that's another big thing. It's like gaining it's like gaining a first round pick almost. Yeah. Because you don't have to spend it on a rookie QB. You can spend it on someone who's going to instantly jump on the field and make an impact. Exactly. And it's a massive wide receiver year as well, just like last year. But it's interesting, interesting to look at. It's also interesting not just from what it means for these two teams, but I think it could it's a good experiment for for the QB market as a whole. I think this is a sign that maybe we'll see less people giving that huge QB contract to someone just because they've been good enough to win in the past and that you you can't just get away with, right, let's pay the guy because he's been good enough, which is what 
And then the Rams have to kill this with Goff this year. So we've seen it with Wentz as well. If you're an elite talent, yeah, they get paid. But I think teams have to be secure enough to go, right, we think this guy's worth this amount. We're not just going to make him the highest paid quarterback because his hamstrings our whole team. And you can't win by paying a bang average quarterback top tier quarterback money. I think you have to though, because what so what happens if the quarterback says no, I'm not going to Then you have to be I'm secure to let him contract. walk. No, that's the thing though, teams aren't secure to let their quarterbacks walk because of how hard it is to find a starting quarterback in this league. That's the reason they get paid loads. I know the market's completely broken, but when you draft a QB, it's, it's quite hit and miss. When you pick up a free agent QB, they might not be there that year. And that is why in contract negotiations, the quarterback always holds the leverage because they need, the team needs them more than they need the team. They're in very, very now, high The worst demand. thing you can do is being going seven and nine to nine and seven consistently because then you're never going to be able to pick that next guy. If no, you I know, pick, if I know, you but teams are going to be that a Big contract GM's that can't elevate a team enough to win, then you've just screwed your future. You can't win with no, that know, but for, with that roster. GMs, GMs have to see it year to year, especially the ones that are constantly in rota like losing jobs going back into jobs they have to see it as a short-term thing because essentially their jobs are on the line that's part of the reason the whole quarterback situation is so messed up is because if they see a guy who can yeah win them like night eight to nine games a year they're gonna they're gonna pay that guy because that's their job security no i don't know i think if you explain to your owner look the guy reason we won this many games is because he was on a cheap contract and we were able to surround it by all of this talent if you can't surround it by that talent because you're paying him that much is he that same guy and I think I think GMs and owners are going to have to look at it and go, we can't win without this guy surrounded by a load of talent. Owners might not necessarily understand that. And as soon as they do understand that, and as soon as they do understand that if you're overpaying quarterbacks, that's when you don't win. And as soon as your, your quarterback actually comes off his rookie contract, the chance of you winning Super Bowl decrease massively as well. So you've got to take into account all of those factors. But is that not because you keep paying these guys that aren't worth the big contract? Yeah, the yeah. big contract. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying. It's, I'm not saying that you should pay these guys. I'm, I'm just explaining the reasons, like why they get paid. It's because of how how short term GMs play the play the market. Because essentially, they they've got family to feed. They've got a job they want to keep. I think that's, that's how we'll that's separate the good owners from the bad owners. The ones that can see that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I agree with you there, hundred percent as well. Because stupid, selfish GMs trying to feed their families. <laughs> so you were talking about. You know, it's not worth paying the quarterbacks that big money, otherwise, they have less chance of winning Super Bowls. But in the position of Jared Goff, yeah, you paid him a lot of money, but now you can surround him with rookie talent. They're obviously going to look to build up in the draft. That's why they picked up two future first round picks. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like, they're, they're sort of going about it the other way in terms of stocking up on loads of picks. So they have loads of skill position players on rookie contracts, right? Exactly. And then you get the fifth year option with them as well. True. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, it's a difficult one. I, I see Slew's point in terms of, you know, there has to be a, 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 some sensibility when it comes to paying average quarterbacks big, big star money because they're not bad enough to lose you games as opposed to being good enough to elevate your team. And I think we will start to see teams looking at quarterback contracts as a, right, this is a five year window. We need to seriously evaluate that body of work after that five years and see where our team is now, what we've been able to get out of that quarterback and seriously then consider whether it is a, a situation where, yes, okay, we, we've got the other pieces around that team where we can afford to, to pay him the money or if it's a case of the output hasn't been good enough as a team and that's a very expensive commodity that maybe we're going to have to let go and rebuild some of the, some of the, the skill positions around it. Anyway, from, from speaking about quarterbacks being overpaid on the contract to a quarterback who wants nothing to do with his contract, obviously with the whole Houston Texans situation, uh, the Watson debacle, we've actually got a call in now from a long-term Texans fan, Kev Wozniczer. Kev, can you hear us? How's it going, Joe? You all right? Yeah, I'm going good, mate. How's, how's it going for you? That's the main thing. In life, all about being a Texans fan. <laughs> Well, like, okay, so how long have you been a Texans fan for? Literally since the team got started again in 2002. So, because they used to be the Oilers, but I was far too young for that. So, as soon as they moved to Houston? Yeah, so pretty much since they've been the Houston Texans. I wasn't, like, a huge fan of the sport in general because I was quite young. So, I was just, like, starting to, like, learn the NFL. That just happened to be my team. I was like, I'll pick the new team. 
but then through the years I loved the sport and then sadly started to love the Texans and obviously now it's a bit of a, <laughs> a, a mess, downward spiral from there yeah when I say the name Jack Easterby and Cal McNair what, what sort of comes to your mind uh not good thoughts to be honest um it's kind of gone downhill since Bob McNair passed away he was never like the best owner and for lots of reasons but since he's passed it down to his son Cal um he's for lack of a better word he's a bit of a moron I don't think he's a bad person he's just stupid and um when they brought in Bill O'Brien we had a few good years under Bill and then um but I think they were so obsessed about doing everything the Patriot way and bringing in Patriot people, which is obviously where Jack Easterby then came into it because he was, I think, the chaplain or something like that. And and then he got brought in. And then with time, he's basically the puppeteer behind it all that kind of runs the things behind the scenes. And he's him and Cal are basically responsible for what the mess is now happening with the whole Watson thing and just the team in general. Like they obviously also allowed Bill O'Brien to do some of those ridiculous trades with DeAndre Hopkins and... Um, well, I've heard like Jack Easterby actually had more of an input in the Hopkins trade than people originally thought. People originally thought it was mostly, it was all Bill O'Brien, whereas actually Jack Easterby might have been pushing for that trade as well. I think both of them were. The problem with Jack Easterby... Um, not that I have anything against religion per se, but he's such a man of God and he expects everybody to be a certain type of way. And everything has become overshadowed by the way he runs the team as this preacher really in Cal McNair's ear. And because Cal is such a religious person himself, I think he will choose Jackie's to be over everybody, which is obviously clear with what's happening with this whole Watson thing now. And it's obviously to the detriment of the whole team, the players don't want to be there. Um, you can see the fast that the GM and coach hurrying became, and yeah, it's it's not it's not a good time to be a Texans fan. I just want to know, like, obviously with the whole Watson leaving scenario, he he he's base his camp have come out and basically said they requested a trade a yeah. week before David Cully was hired, um, but they kind of made it public straight after the hiring. Yeah. Um, what like? If Watson leaves, what happens then? Do you stay a Texans fan? Like what? I mean, I don't really know about my allegiances yet, to be honest. Um, the thing with me was the team last year, like this has been like a long time coming for me, like this whole Watson thing in a way. Like it all stems down to last year with the whole Chiefs loss in the playoffs when they were 24 nil, like nil up and then obviously had a meltdown. That should have been Bill O'Brien's last game. And yet somehow from that he got a promotion to also be the GM like at the time you had Eric the enemy that was available um, Bill O'Brien gets promoted he and Jack used to be whoever was involved I'm not sure obviously the DeAndre Hopkins trade itself was a joke um, especially for what little return they got and then the fact that Bill O'Brien actually even got fired after week four made you think okay things are heading in the right direction at least in terms of they've gotten rid of some of the poison um but it's clear, like, from everybody, I'm sure you will know, like, Watson has said, like, he wanted to be just, not even, like, he gets the final say, but he wanted to be included in the GM process. Yeah. He wanted to be included in the um, head coach process. And obviously, whoever he put forward, um, they didn't even bother interviewing. Like, the whole GM thing was the joke in that they hired this firm, I can't remember the name, they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to this search firm who like a lot of sports franchises use just for their GM search. I think they narrowed it down to Louis Riddick. I think he's the pundit for ESPN. I'm not sure. And I think it was one of the guys on the Steelers, basically two minority figures as well, which obviously Deshaun Watson is a big advocate for. And the person who was not on this list is Nick Casario. And who does Nick Sierra come from? The Patriots. Again, a Jack Easterby person. In the last second, even though Cal McNair said that whoever's going to be GM actually also gets to decide what happens with Jack Easterby, they end up just... He ends up literally last second going against this firm's decision, going ahead and going for Nick Casario, completely like not keeping Deshaun in the loop either. Like I understand it's a bit weird for a player to be included in a, a GM hire, but the point is 
they not prom- if they were promised that exactly they were they're, so they've, they've broken the the trust and that's when i think watson even tweeted at the time some things never change and like from there they just soured it and then it became even a bigger joke because nick casera to be honest i have no idea if he's going to be a good gm or not but then what was really a bigger joke than that is everybody knows watson wanted eric the you know robert seller and they didn't even reach out for eric the and they only did once Watson really started kicking off. And then it was like, uh, it was so obvious for everybody to see, like, they're only doing it because they've been found out. And at that well, point, they didn't even really interview Rob Salary, but what's that? They didn't interview Rob Salary either, which was apparently a bigger deal than people thought with the whole Watson scenario. Yeah, exactly. So it almost felt like they started to interview other coaches, specifically minority coaches. And it just felt like a, a way of like, mm. look, Deshaun, look, we are trying, we're doing this for you, but it, it, it's just reeks of just unprofessionalism and just completely clutching at straws at the end. And the David Cully hire itself is completely out of left field because I don't think anybody saw that coming. And no offense, like, I know you're a Ravens fan, but I've, I've seen a lot of Ravens fans who are like happy he's gone. Like he's the passing coordinator. What was he for the worst passing offense last year? the wide yeah. receiver coach of the Chiefs when they couldn't score a touchdown with any other yeah. receivers. Like, he's been in the league for years and he's probably a nice person. And But it's like... Is there a worry, Kev, that you, there's no end to this? Because Jack is yes. to be driven the Texans to a point where their best player in franchise history no longer wants there. Do you think he stays, like, long-term? You said this tightness with Cal McNair... Yeah. Or maybe once they realise that there is no way to keep Watson, do they then turn their sights on Easterby? Or where does this end up going? I think, it, well, it's not going to end up well. I honestly think it will end with Deshaun leaving. I don't see how that will be reconciled. Um, this is what I've realised a lot myself and a lot of Texans fans feel like. The only way this would ever end is if Cal sells the team. And that's not going to happen. And whether Jack Easterby there is or not, there's just too much damage being done because at the end of the day, they've been around, what, for nearly 20 years now. The Texans have always, even when they've had, say, good teams, they've never had a quarterback. You know, like most teams wait years and years. Watson is like, I don't know about generational talent, but he is an elite like quarterback now. And I've never, I don't know any team in this situation that would allow a 25-year-old elite QB get to the point where you forced him out just for how poorly you've run run things and i don't see how anything will change really because even if say the texans get a boatload of picks i don't know well they're not going to get anybody better than watson not like even if they hit a gem in the draft great but it might not even be anyone near him but the problem is they're probably just going to run into the same situation again like a few years from now the way i look at it is some franchises there's a reason they always end up a few years being poor again because they just run badly from the top down, you know? So you look at the Lions, you look at teams like Jaguars, the Browns, and the Texans are in that mix as well, really, because they have a few good years, but you never really consider them contenders. Um, And so it seems like the Steelers, you don't see the Steelers in this situation. Like, you know, good, well-run teams, they always find a way, they just run well. And the Texans, it just seems like this probably will be never-ending. I feel like eventually, one way or the other, it will leave with, Jackie's to be gone, but I feel like it's already by that time it would be too little, too late because the damage has been done. The damage has been done in the last two two years, really. Do you think there's any weight to know you mentioned Nick Casario, but he came out and said, you know, we have no interest in trading the player, just completely denouncing any any idea of a Watson trade. That obviously being just before the big news from Matt Stafford going to Detroit for a boatload of picks. Yeah. So do you think? Do you think there's any weight to that? Do you think that, obviously, I, don't, I can't imagine if you're Nick Casario or David Cully right now, you're sitting there like, oh, yeah, let's trade Deshaun because he's the best thing your franchise has had in. I, I, to be honest, I feel like they, there's no way they would have come out and be like, yeah, we're willing to listen to offers. Like that, that was always going to be the answer to that. And obviously, he said it in the press conference where they were um, unveiling David Cully as the head coach. And I think he even he made that statement before they even opened any questions. And David Cully said the same sentiments, didn't he? He said, Deshaun Watson is our QB. I've been told he will be here. That's not going to change. They're saying they don't want to trade him. It's probably true as well. But to be honest, I think it's just going to get to a point where Deshaun Watson has made it clear he will not 
come back. I think it's going to get to a point where probably training camp and stuff like that, they start finding him a lot of money and it will probably become down to, even if say Watson gets fined so much, I don't see him just turning around and then being forced to play. I think at the end of the day, if your franchise QB doesn't want to be there and you might get a team say like, the only two that I can really think of that can offer like that much are the Jets or the Dolphins because of their draft picks and stuff, that as a new GM and new head coach, you might end up thinking, you know what, like this has already been messed up before we got here. Maybe we like we don't have any cap room. We don't have any draft picks. If we do get a boatload of picks, maybe we can just start rebuilding it and get it done that way. I would be shocked if somehow it gets to the summer or after the draft and Watson is still on the team. Like unless somehow miraculously he he loves all these like individual coaching hires, like because some of the assistants they've hired, they hired um Pep Hamilton recently, who was Justin Herbert's QB coach. He used to be Andrew Luck's QB coach. They got the Lions wide receiver coach. He's meant to be quite good. So maybe I don't know if any of that, if Watson would be a fan of that. I just I just think it's bridges have been burnt now. And at it's the end too of the day, too late. Really. Yeah, he wants a culture change. He wants to go to a winning. Um, situation like like we mentioned before like one of these well-run franchises I'm not saying the Jets are by any stretch of imagination but he likes Robert Sala and I think he'd like to be in New York and apparently Miami makes sense for him too they're the only two situations where I think mm. it might be a case of like they will accept that I, just, I don't think That's Nick is sorry saying we don't want to trade him I feel like that was just the answer and at the end of the day of course the Texans want to play hardball to get as much as they can out of him like you mentioned Matt Stafford he got what Two firsts and Jared got and a third round pick this year. Yeah, yeah, so you can only imagine what Watson would get. Also, being much younger with less injuries, like it'll be, it'll be something like it would have to be. That's why everyone's talking about Jets or Miami because it would have to be something with like just someone with loads of trade value. If Watson set, I've, uh, I think the Jaguars could pull it off too because they've got two first round picks this year as well. You're not giving away the you're not giving away um the first overall. I don't know. I think that's reasonable. I think. I think they could, they could bundle in those picks. I honestly think of all of them, between, the, say, the top three draft picks, which is obviously um, the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Dolphins, if the Jaguars were like willing to give up the number one pick, which is essentially everyone knows is going to be Trevor Lawrence, I would take that over the other ones. Obviously, they'd need more picks than just that. But the way I look at it is Trevor Lawrence is going to be this new generational talent, like the best QB since coming out since Andrew Luck and they have like 100 million cap space and obviously you can build such strong teams if you have a qb on a rookie contract do the jags really want to give yeah. all that up and also then the texans will be trading in division i'm not so sure plus Deshaun has that no trade clause so i don't even know if he'd want to go to jacksonville so it's up to him unfortunately kev that's probably all we have time for at the moment uh, but right. thanks for calling in no worries Cheers, mate you guys take care it's been a pleasure all right, we've all seen the news, you know, stocks are rising this weekend, everyone <laughs> who's invested in GME, but has anyone's stock risen more than Deshaun Watson after that Matt Stafford trade? What do you guys think? I think it's a tenuous link at best. I was going to say, maybe <laughs> yours is a financial reporter. This is not financial advice. Please do not take it as such. <laughs> all right, well, it's back, it's back down again. Uh, I don't know how much it does affect Watson's stock necessarily, like, on the face value, yeah, there's two first-round picks involved in this. Maybe we thought there'd be one pick involved in the Stafford trade, but I think, as we mentioned, a lot of that is to do with them taking on Goff's contract. I don't know if that necessarily means, right, we thought it would be one for Stafford, maybe three or three and a few later rounds for Watson. I don't think that necessarily means it's now four or five, but I think that the Texans aren't in a position necessarily where they need to sell. Yeah, they'll upset their entire organization, but they've had no qualms in doing that. They've got a pretty bad cap position at the moment. Yeah, but they don't need they don't have to sell Watson if they don't want to. Like they they can keep him that they could keep him there and keep finding him. Well, I think it's going to get messy. It'll it'll come down to OTAs or something and he he'll just refuse to play the season and, and I find they, like half a million might, game. They might be forced to trade him way too late, and it, it could get to a point where he's traded for a lower value because they lose all leverage in the situation. That's what I think would be the most Texans thing to happen here. That would be very Texans. I really hope it doesn't go sour because I think that you know it's not already sour. It's already I mean, gone it, sour. Yeah, it's pretty sour. But I'm thinking like toxic waste sour here. In like 
I, I hope it doesn't become a whole standoff and you know Deshaun Watson sitting out games and stuff like that because it. I mean, Deshaun Watson is one of the most exciting players to watch in the league, hands down. Mm. And I think the Texans, regardless of you know what it's going to take, are going to have to swallow their pride with this one and just bloody accept that they've got to trade him and they've got to trade him soon. That that relationship, I think, has gone beyond repair. And it's better for all parties if they can get something done quickly, I think, because the Texans get the maximum value. Deshaun Watson gets a fresh start. None of this... It's already a standoff, though, isn't it? Because you've got Deshaun Watson who wants out. You've got the Texans who want to keep Deshaun Watson. You, the, by having mm-hmm. these two opposing sides in the situation, you're going to get Deshaun Watson holding out. He will If he's not traded, he's going to hold out of OTAs. He's not going to play another down for that franchise. And, and the thing is, they're going to be, they're going to be saying, look, Deshaun Watson's not for trade. He's a quarterback. Because I think Kev mentioned it on the call. He's not. They're not going to be going... Yeah, it's for sale. We'll take what we can get. So it's their it's True. their thing to drive on the price. True. I, th- I think they genuinely think they're keeping him. Yeah, but I think to to actually believe that, then they are just going to end up in a situation where they have to trade him too late because he's not going to play for him. That's exactly what I think. I think he's got happen. too much pride at this point to to really. You can't like it's a weird one as well because I, I've never been a massive fan of players like deciding that they're you know I don't want to play this team anymore whatever I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come in like it's a bit of a a tough look I know there are situations where you can you can fully understand it and I think this falls into yeah I think that this 100% falls into that category of I completely sympathize sympathize with Deshaun Watson here I'm not in the least bit surprised that he doesn't want to stay with that Texans organization he's a player that's had some injuries and some big injuries and has been consistently still made to carry the whole load um, and you've got to think about it in terms of the longe- longevity of his career. And he's absolutely right to not trust the Texans to be able to build a competent football team around him. And, you know, he's a very, very talented QB who on a different team would have a shot at, at a Super Bowl. So 100% go and go and take that shot. The same thing we were saying with Matty Stafford as well. We, were, we all said we want to see Matty Stafford on a, on a contender. He's earned that with the amount of sort of, Difficulty he's had to contend with over his career, I see. I see the same sort of thing for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it's interesting that the two are kind of linked in this weird way, because Matt Matt Stafford is by and far what everyone's scared that Deshaun Watson was going to become with the Texans, a very talented quarterback who can never really achieve anything due to poor ownership and and coaching. Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than Matt Stafford. Yeah, yeah, it's it up for debate. But what uh, the ma- factor of the matter is that it's not up for debate. Yeah. Come be real to yourself here. Oh, it's up for debate if you've got no, no. I, I would, eyes, I would definitely it's rather clearly... have Watson. But like I'm saying, Matt Stafford over his career has like it's obviously the situation. It's been a wasted talent. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, and we all saw what like what said at the end of the season and everything. We don't need to like go through the whole thing. But it's it's obvious that he's not the only one who who thinks it. So. I feel bad for all the Texans players that aren't Watson Watson that just have to be stuck there. Yeah, like they're not like what? What do you do? You're just stuck on a bad team who are about to lose their best two players, and the owner, the owners have consistently made bad decisions over the last eighteen years. Enjoy. You know what I'm going to enjoy though. I'm going to enjoy the Super Bowl preview. Well, should we do that then? I'm gonna well, I'm gonna enjoy the Super Bowl to be honest, more than anything. Not not you know, previewing it's one thing, but watching it is a is a whole other spectacle. Um so I was thinking we could break this down into sort of key matchups if we go Bucks offense versus Chiefs defense, and then Chiefs offense versus Bucks defense. That's the logical way of doing things. So if we start off with the Bucks offense versus the Chiefs defense, what are we thinking here, fellas? Um, I, I'm thinking that Mike Evans is going to need to play a key role in this. He's going to need to step up. He hasn't looked particularly great to me in recent weeks. Last time they played, I'm sure Breeden completely shut him down. Breeden had a great game on him. Evans had was just sloppy in general. Like there were there were no drops recorded, but it seemed he was in position to make a few catches where he either didn't track the ball right or didn't jump up and make the just the effort for the play. He hasn't looked like the top five receiver he's supposed to be and he's going to need to step up in this one and, and win that one-on-one matchup with Bashar Breland. 
I think, yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, Stan's been big on the Chiefs' defence, I mean, throughout the backstretch of this uh, season, and he's absolutely right to do so. Steve Spagnola's unit, they're basically a different animal in the playoffs because he's such yeah. a, he changes his scheme so much game to game depending on matchups. And they're so aggressive in everything that you do. They bring so much pressure. They play so hard on the back end because they can. Because they know that if they give up a big play, it doesn't matter because Patty Mahomes and the boys are going to go on the field and they're going to march right back and pick up another touchdown. We'll get the so boys down. it gives the opposing offense such a small margin for error that they can basically attack them all game without much repercussion. Yeah, the last time they played, they blitzed Daniel Sorensen an awful lot. They blitzed him seven times throughout the entire game. It didn't culminate in very many... In a, only, sorry, it culminated in one sack, all the, all the pressure they were sending at them. Um, this so is the I, last Bucks Chiefs game. This is the I... last Bucks Chiefs game. I've just been re-watching it this afternoon. They they sent down, yeah Daniel Sorensen was sent a lot. Anthony Hitchens was sent down three times. Neiman as well. I it was it was really quite disappointing actually to see all this pressure they were sending out, all these different exotic looks, and it didn't actually result in anything more than one sack and I think two quarterback hurries or something like that. One of those, one of those plays, one of those hurries, and one of those missed throws they forced was literally just a, a, a bust uh, pass pro assignment from Tristan Wirfs. And so, although they are they are sending these blitzes, I'm just wondering how effective they're going to be on Sunday. Leonard Fournette's going to be important in that he missed a key blitz pickup against the Packers last week. That was basically led directly to a Brady interception. I think another key aspect of this matchup is going to be if the Butts can run the ball against the Chiefs' defense, which hasn't been the best against the run. No, it's been worse than league average. And the Bucks' play action is actually pretty dangerous. They don't have a hugely varied run game, but their duo play where they like to motion Godwin in. And, yeah, they, like and they're able to there. disguise that so well in the play action because they do the exact same thing. And we saw it last week against the Packers when the entire secondary bit and left two guys wide open on two separate occasions like on big third downs. The Bucks' biggest thing is going to be getting plays on one and first and second down, which they haven't done a great yeah. deal throughout the season. Just going through that first matchup where they had, I think it was four successive punts in the first quarter. The, the failure came; it was on it was just first downs. They struggled to win on first downs consistently. Ronald Jones, they were right. It was like they run a lot of duo and inside zone on first down. He was just diving towards the middle every single play, no matter where the hole was. He was just diving towards. The, the center. I know that's the design on quite a lot of those plays, but there would there would be holes out elsewhere, and he just wouldn't see them. But this will change this week because we've seen Leonard Fournette. He's received a lot more snaps early on in the games, which is contrary to what's been happening in past Bucks games throughout the season. He's been kind of makes sense though to save the big bruising back for the playoffs. Hey, it's playoff Lenny more involved. Yeah. To be fair, he like we say he's the big bruising back, but he's been their third down back this year. Yeah, but he's been. Good. Didn't he quite catch the putt? Uh, wasn't it the touchdown catch? Wasn't that on third down? Leonard Fournette last week with the spin move. That was a but run, you, wasn't you, it? Was it a run? Was it an outside run? Or I think it was, it was a, a run, third was down a pass. I think, it was, a, I think okay. it was a run. They bounced outside. That was a very exciting. Run. I had everything you could want in that play. It was a little broken tackle, a little spin, juke move. Exactly. Very. Simple. Wouldn't have had the energy for that if he was playing during the season. Right <laughs> now. I think you should give these NFL athletes a bit more um, credit, to be honest with you, Joe. They're highly tuned, Joe. Different for running backs, mate. I think another thing, the, uh, Stan touched on it earlier, the Bucks guys on the outside are going to have to win one-on-one throughout this game. Last time, they did, the Chiefs did a lot of bracketing the slot receiver throughout the game, and they were close on a couple of connections to the outside guy. A couple of miscommunications didn't quite connect. They've been playing a lot better down the stretch. The Bucks' passing attack has been. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if they can connect on those chunk plays that they do need, basically. Because this doesn't strike me as a team that's going to consistently put together long drives. They're going to need those big plays on third down. And it's whether, oh, it's oh, whether yeah, those balls about. come down in the Bucks' receivers' hands or the Chiefs. On their scoring plays last game, they didn't possess the ball for very long at all. The Chiefs' drives were longer on average last game, like by far. Their, their offense just consists of just grind them out, hit them with the geo, hit them with the inside zone, and then just hit them with a play action like after that. And it's very much a hit and miss offense, but it has worked a lot this year. I think what we've also seen out of the Bucks offense as we got further into the stretch and towards the playoffs is that the big names have started stepping up. Like Antonio Brown has started to look good. Yeah, Gronkowski has looked 
actually pretty darn good considering he, he took a year off and everything. Well, apparently that's because he wasn't doing conditioning at the beginning of the year. He did, did, I you, did, did hear you hear that, about yeah. that? Yeah. Can yeah, I, that can I awesome. comment on this? I really don't, I really fucking don't like this, to be honest. Like, Is everyone's... it Patriot? Basically no, the successful Jamarcus Russell. It's not because he's an ex-Patriot. It's because, like, you know, he I feel like if this was anyone else other than Gronkowski, everyone would be like, oh, well, why is like why is he being lazy? But because it's Gronkowski, it's all funny that he just decided to not do any of the conditioning stuff. Like, Yeah, pretty much. I think it's a pretty bit... I, I, I think I'm probably the only person that thinks it, but I just think it's a bit dickish, to be honest, to just be like, oh, all, all, my, all the rest of my teammates are going to do the sprints properly and going to, like, 110% commit to getting in shape for the season, but I'm just going to do a funny and, and not do that. I'm going to do Yeah, one. at the same time, I don't think this comes out unless he has been playing better. Exactly. In which That's case, it becomes so, a bit but... of a non-factor now he's playing well. But yeah, if if he wasn't playing well and this comes out, yeah, you're you're right. That is a bit of a undermining move. It's always a convenient like story that comes out just before the Super Bowl about... Yeah, I mean this this is a heavy like oh look at look at classic classic Gronk, what's he like? But I think actually it it, I've got to ask yourself when these sprints would have had to happen. It would have probably been during rookie camp when all the rookies are in the building, all the coaches are in the building, but the rest of the team they're still at home and stuff. It would have been during that time. During everyone was doing remote workouts. Exactly. During during OTAs and training camp, which is the large part of the largest part of preseason, he would have been with the team then in the like Doing workouts then. Right? Yeah, so I mean, I just a few runs in. It's also, in it's May, also probably because he was coming off retirement, so it might have just been a him kind of thing anyway. Being like, "Yeah, are you back in shape? Wrong, Prove it to us." Yeah, exactly. He's grunky from duty ones, but he shouldn't be able to. That's part of It's a team sport. You can't just decide like, "Oh, this player can do the conditioning, and this player can't." Because yeah, but he's are funny. you in the Super Bowl? He's Rob Gronkowski. I think you've got to cut him some slack there. No, yeah. that's literally the opposite. Obviously worked out for them. So I mean, you can't complain if you're the Bucks. He's been well, wank think... until the last back half of the season. So. Oh yeah, only say, half the season he's been good. I, I wouldn't say it's it a matter of it's the second half, and he wins the Super Bowl the season. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Trash. Either way, like, I was really impressed just generally by Tom. I know we mentioned this last week, but what Tom Brady's been able to do at his age. You look at quarterbacks like Drew Brees, how they've sharply declined, but Tom Brady's still going strong, playing as a top five QB in his latter years in the league and doing it with a completely different team. I think, you know, he was throwing absolute darts against Green Bay. We did have a few interceptions. Only one of them was really his fault, that one. Uh, that the safety picked off when he tried to look him off, but didn't really do it. Uh, the other two were kind of his receivers. Well, it was the one that Fournette didn't block for him, and yeah. so he got hit. As he couldn't he do anything about that. The one, the one to Mike Evans is that's the one thing Brady doesn't do. He doesn't miss high, and it seemed weird that he did on this occasion. Like he yeah. puts a concerted effort in, and what's one of the things that makes it best that if he's going to miss, he'll miss low, so that kind of thing can't happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just going back to Tom Brady in the last game, actually, he wasn't particularly accurate. I know he put up some big numbers on the stat sheet, like three hundred. Well, it was one of his best games of the year. He had three hundred and forty-five yards, but he did have like just over ten or so, like just like just downright bad throws in that game where he was inaccurate and missed. And considering he wasn't sacked, he was only sacked once. He was only hurried twice. It it did seem a bit a bit suspicious like whether they, the chief defenders were so tight on him that they were so tight that he was having to make these in like very hard throws to try and throw his receivers open almost I'm the Bucks sure, are going to have to play the best game on offense they've played all year yeah. they, they can't afford miscommunications throughout the game and then come back big in big moments because this Chiefs team won't let them do it what I'd like to see them do this week is actually just spread Brady out a lot more I'd like to I'd like them to come out and empty wait what Put him in the wildcat. Put Brady on the outside. I didn't mean spread Brady out. I meant spread the offense out. <laughs> spread the offense out about more. Go go into some five wide sets and stuff. Because to counter these blitz looks that um, Spagnuolo is going to send at you, and ha- to have one of the best quarterbacks versus the blitz, to, where you get, put him in a situation where everything's out on the table and he, you can see everything, and he can just throw wherever the blitz is coming from and. I know it sounds ridiculously simple, but Brady's one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he's also one of the best at throwing into blitz, throwing versus mm. the blitz. So I think yeah, that would be a yeah, very positive is. move for them to go for. And he know, he'll know that when this Chiefs offense has played against empty, a lot of teams like Miami do this. They simulate pressure 
against empty formations and drop a load of guys out because they know where the hot routes are going to be. The Chiefs bring that pressure, even against empty, even when the offense is knowing they're going to do it. Last time they motioned Gronk into pass pro to give Brady a little bit more time. But like you said, if Brady can get them knowing where he's blitzing, get a lot of one-on-ones, then that, that could be a huge benefit for them. Could we also just talk about a um, little tidbit for you? Steve Spagnuolo was also the Giants defensive coordinator in 2007 when Osio Manura, Michael Strahan, they had an absolute day against Brady and he spent most of his time on the ground that day. And yeah, so, so the Giants beat the Patriots. So Run it back. Fun little tidbit. They did have one of the best defensive lines in the league. They did have a ridiculous defensive yeah. line. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, the Chiefs don't have a terrible defensive line. I don't think it's great. They got yeah, Chris, Chris Jones, Jones is great. and, and um, what do you call him? Frank. Frank Clark. Frank Clark hasn't been that great. Frank Clark. He's fine one on one. He'll get pressure if you leave it one on one. I mean, the Chiefs were able to get a lot of pressure last week. So we want about the personnel on that line. The Chiefs like to be creative in their blitzes, though. Usually, it's mm, not necessarily top to help them. And Bags has been so good this playoffs. Yeah, he always turns it up though. They always seem to, as they progress into Super Bowl, we saw it last year as well before they go in against the 49ers their defense steps up game to game yeah the one benefit they're not going to have but this is the benefit they had against john allen they're not going to be able to hide what they're doing as much and that's a lot of what spagnola relies on is disguising the coverages like they'll come out in like a one high look and it'll be oh it'll be an invert cover too they'll come back they'll come up in a two high and then they'll, they'll motion all the players around post snap and that's the benefit of having a swiss army knife in tyron matthew as well because you can line him up in the slot you can line him up as a safety you can line him up as like a middle linebacker in, in some um, nickel formations, and yeah, that that's going that's one thing that's going to be taken away from them because you've got a veteran quarterback like Tom Brady who can read the game incredibly well, and he can make these reads post snap, which was which will be the difference between him and Josh Allen when facing the Spagnuolo defense. I do think when you play uh, Tyron Matthew, like you said, like you where he is on the field doesn't really mean absolutely that is yeah. where he's going to be covering. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing and you can get creative in that way when you have players like that okay so uh, if we flip over to the other side obviously another massive key matchup that unstoppable chiefs offense that we saw in true chiefs fashion dominate the bills last week in the championship game uh against that bucks defense that has been surprisingly great this year a lot of turnovers um what do you guys think about this matchup They've been incredibly aggressive, and last time they played them, it did not pay off at all. The Chiefs managed to get a lot. Of the um, sorry, the Bucks managed to get a lot of points later on in the game to make the score look a lot closer. But if you look at that first quarter of play, especially the Carlton Davis matchup and Tyreek Hill, where Todd Bowles consciously left Carlton Davis on Tyreek Hill, no matter where he was in the formation, whether that was lining him up on the slot or leaving him out on the island, it didn't work at all, and it ended up with Tyreek Hill having three touchdowns. And it was just it was ridiculous. Like, even when he was lined up ten yards off, it was a it was a, in a cover three shell. They did do a good job adjusting though in that second half. After that, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter what happens once you let them get onto that lead. But they went to a lot of more too high stuff. It's just it's the fact that when you when you leave, when you come out in one high and you've got Carlton Davis lined up directly over Tyree Kill and he's having to backpedal into that deep third shell into that range that deep third zone. And Tyreek Hill is able to beat you when you're 10 yards off him for a touchdown. Like you've got no hope then, have you? Yeah, I think we'll have to see them play a lot of two high. They can't afford to go one high again because Mahomes and Tyreek will rip them apart. They don't have a guy that can match up to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's been playing better than he's ever played, in my opinion. And Carlton Davies has had an absolutely awful postseason. Yeah, that last game was an absolute stinker. I know everyone was talking about Kevin King, but you would be... If the Bucks lost, we we might be talking about Carlton Davis. What they did do a good job though of is taking away Devontae Adams in that game. So I would like I like to see what their plan is for Kelsey and Hill. Obviously, it's hard to take away two elite weapons and try and make either Pringle or returning Sammy Watkins be the guy that does it. Yeah, Watkins had a great game last week as well though. Like Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis has been been incredibly aggressive corners this year. And when you've got you've got speed. Like, you've got Hardman, you've got Hill, you've got Watkins, you've got Kelsey. You've got four guys, essentially, that you've got to account for, and you've got two incredibly aggressive corners that just don't cut it either. I, it's going to be really, really tough. And as much as I'd love the buck for the Bucks to come away with the win, it's going to be just 
they're going to have to play, as you say, the best game of their of their season. Yeah, by far. I, I think they're going to have to realistically, if they've got a chance here, they're going to have to bracket Kelsey and Hill as much as possible, mm. and that leaves so much space for the other yeah. weapons. And, and that's the problem with this Chiefs, Chiefs offense and the way they've added to it this season is they have so many weapons now. It's not an offense where you can just try and you know put design coverages on on the two biggest playmakers because the people behind them are just as capable of exploiting. That's- that's exactly when Sammy Watkins has a big game or Miko Hardman has a big yeah. game when people like... That's when he does his lizard stuff. Praise to the lizard gods. Look, we could say that, we could say it all day long. If the if the Chiefs play to their capabilities, they're impossible to stop. So it doesn't yeah. matter what we say about the Bucks. What they have to do is they have to make them do that. They have to make them rely on Pringle or Hardman or Watkins do it. And that's not to say that they can't or that they are unlikely to. They probably can. And the issue is they have is that Mahomes is just as good mentally nowadays as he is physically. Yeah, you Um, can't do it. Like The the reason they had so much success last time is because Carlton Davis, he was targeted like he was a wide receiver. 14 targets, 11 completions (laughs) on him. It it was just, he was completely embarrassing. Todd Bowles did a great job last week confusing Aaron Rodgers. If you can confuse Aaron Rodgers pre-snap... There's a decent chance you could um, confuse Mahomes as well. But it's the thing is, when... I think it's a different kettle no, of fish. Absolutely, I'm ju- I'm just trying to think of ways that they can compete because obviously the Chiefs are a favourite and for a very good reason. It's because they are, I think, probably the best team I have ever seen live. Yeah. And I don't think that's mm. even hyperbole. They're unstoppable on offense if they're playing as well as they can, and their defense is complementary enough and aggressive enough to force you to make big plays consistently that teams yeah. won't be able to do. One thing I will say, though, in favour of the Bucks' defence is that they did get incredibly unlucky last time out because they sent a lot of pressures. They got a lot of hurries on Mahomes. They had a lot of guys up in his face and potential for sacks. Like, Mahomes was Mahomes, and he managed to pull off some wizardry and get out, get out of the situation. But they did get incredibly unfortunate. I think if you did play that game over and over, there would be a lot more sacks in some of the different games played from the Buccaneers. You say that, that, but we saw that last week where he... Mahomes just repeats that wizardry against the Bills where he gets three rushes in the face. Instead of hitting hot, he'll just sort of somehow spin out and fire 20 yards downfield. I remember Jason Jason Pierre-Paul was all, like he was right up in his face for that entire game. It was it was a miracle he only got one sack. Same with Shaq Barrett. They were they were all over the place. And yeah, they didn't come away with the sack. And I know it's Mahomes and I know he's he's got ways just to pull off his wizardry, but it's the fact you've got to be aware of. The issue with pressuring Mahomes is that you sometimes let him improvise, and when he improvises, that's when he throws some yeah, ridiculous. The, what they, what they, what you have to do well against the Chiefs, though, is you have to almost play like a contained, like a contain um, edge defense, or the, like, and that's the effective way to rush the passer because of how far Mahomes drops back, and that's obviously that's not the way to contain him completely because he's got to step, he steps up in the pocket, but it's, yeah, it's just going to be incredibly tough all round. The thing is, Bills. Their game plan was fine last week. They played a lot of stuff, tried to get them to play over the top, didn't allow big, huge chunk plays over the top. There was that one drop from Hill, which, but discounting that, they Chiefs didn't have any huge plays. The issue is that Travis Kelsey is going to find space all day long there, and it complements exactly. each other one way. If you stop the explosive plays, Travis Don't Kelsey is going to be open all day, and Devin White is not good enough in pass coverage at the moment to contain him. So if they can manage yeah. to get that matchup, they could be in a lot of trouble. And I, the Chiefs are basically, if they're on form, they are unstoppable. It doesn't matter if you're dialing up what's supposed to work against that call or not, because they are the best unit in football right now. And it's not yeah. even particularly close when they're on form. Yeah, yeah and they, they make up plays out of formations that are just like crazy. Like last time against the box, we saw the, the QB motion. Like what the hell even is that? You saw like an almost a touchdown from Kelsey to Mahomes. Obviously Kelsey bottled it, but and they show you stuff that you you won't ever see on film from them. Like they came out and pistol is obviously it was a passing down, and then they just run a speed option out of it. It's just random stuff like that that always keeps you on your toes, and it's gonna be it's just gonna be tough to be able to account for all of these things if you're someone like Devin White who's gonna have your eyes in the backfield because they give you so much to look at, and it's just gonna be incredibly overwhelming. I think the yeah. Bucks do match up quite well with what the Chiefs like to do in the running game and the trick plays. Oh, the as running well. game, I don't care about. They their, their side, to, they, their linebackers flow side to side really well. Yeah. All the, they do a lot of 
wide receiver runnings like they've got the Jets, you've got your end arounds. I think the Bucks are quite well equipped to deal with that. And Edward Solaire has had two weeks off now and is coming back. I don't think you've really got to worry about the run game. They just that's that's not a massive factor. But last last time when we saw the Chiefs versus the 49ers, who a lot of us was saying after the game that we thought Damian Williams should have had the Super Bowl MVP for how well how great a performance he put in throughout that game. It doesn't have to be coming from Mahomes. They can beat you in the run game as well. They won't beat the Bucks team in the run. They won't beat the Bucks team in the run game. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. At full at full strength. With the weakened O line and the strong box D line, it's not gonna happen. Chiefs now have two O linemen left from starting in week one. One of them's gonna have to change from guard to tackle after Fisher went out last week. He's done he's done his Achilles and he's not involved. Obviously you got Saint Duvenet Tardif. Saint Duvenet Tardif. <laughs> you mean Laurent Duvenet Tardif. No, Saint. Um <laughs> is gone to fight COVID on the front <laughs> lines like Saint, an absolute boss. Well, no, it's not. I'm, I'm giving him a sainthood because oh, he, he bloody deserves thing. one. Yeah, yeah, it does deserve that a is, sainthood. That is a boss move. Um, and also, they're, they're going to be without Daniel Kilgore as well, potentially, at the weekend because his barber gave him COVID, maybe. So, uh, oh my that's God. tragic. It, it, you know what? Why are you that's getting a, a haircut? Are you mad? It's the biggest game of his career. He can't go out with a terrible lid. You can't go I'm out with sure. a dead trim. You can't risk getting COVID from anything. I would literally Joe, this is why you've never won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I don't know. Also, like... Speaking of, you know, injuries, the Bucks have actually got a bit healthier this week as well with Anton Winfield Jr., who's been like a massive help for them yeah. the entire year. I mean, we were talking about him for Rookie of the Year, so he good. Yeah, you know, he, he he's bloody good. He's been amazing for him this year. I think they've really like. He's not that. a massive help with the overtop stuff. Like when they come out in their in their cover three look, they'll use Jordan Whitehead as the as the middle safety. And he was just, he was completely just manipulated by Mahomes. He, did, he just stared down Whitehead until he had his read open. And then what's, just... his, what's his health status? Do we know? Questionable. So is Antonio Brown. Do you play Antonio Brown or do you stick with um, Mr. Sub 4 4, Scotty Miller? Scotty Miller's been sneaky good. Why does Scott? Do why does Scotty Miller think that he's faster than Tyreek Hill? Does he not know how fucking maths works? <laughs> <laughs> Like can someone can someone tell him? Yeah, I get that it's it's cool that you think you're really fast, but this bloke's literally like an Olympic standard sprinter. He runs like a he runs a four three seven like that. That's great. Does he all, actually it? think he's faster than? Yeah, Tyreek. he was he was like in a race. I'd back me over Tyreek, and, and the, the a... collective football world went. Pfft. Although to be fair, in a race, you never know when he could have a bad start. He may yeah, fall over. It's not the same as a forty-yard dash. <laughs> Mate, I'd back Tyreek Kill to to start backwards. Yes, yeah, so still would fucking I. Tyreek Kill could run the Olympics. Yeah. Scotty Miller is just some Scotty Miller could have he tried wannabe Edelman. No, that's unfair. No, that's not <laughs> that's not fair at all. Because he's white doesn't make him a slow oh. slot receiver. Calm he's quick down. as hell. Like you saw him completely burn Kevin King on a I wheel route. Get a reaction out of you, and it worked. Uh, you've nibbled, you've nibbly pricks. <laughs> I did call him sneaky though, so that's partially on me. Winfield's not ready to go either yet. That is Anton Winfield. If he's still not ready, then that's I mean, it not great. I think it basically comes down to the the Buccaneers need so much to go right, and not because there's anything necessarily wrong with them, just because this Chiefs team is so good that they haven't lost a game yeah. since the 2018 a that mattered since the 2018 AFC Championship game, and that was only because D Ford lined up offside and then Brady got the ball first. That was the last time they lost a significant game. Yeah. And we've seen them have the capability of, you know, when when the Chiefs have done that that classic Chiefs thing of just not really starting games, and then they'll they have the capacity to wake up and be like, oh, I should probably score about twenty eight points now. Yeah, last time though against the Bucks, they absolutely torched them in the yeah, first Yeah, I know, quarter. but I'm saying like that's been one of the things with the Chiefs in terms of the only team that can beat the Chiefs is the Chiefs when they fall asleep on themselves. And we've said last week was the best they played all season. They just looked so in control of everything. They never look panicked. Yeah, they always exactly. look like this is going to go exactly as we've drilled it because we've got more talent than you. We're so well coached. And I think that's supremely confident. Even when Hardman mocked that punt, like they just came straight back and then he absolutely killed yeah. them on the ground with his with Oops. his running. Yeah, you got to love to see that though. When someone messes up and desperately wants to get back in the game to prove themselves and actually does it, that's great to see. I don't know. It's, I think it was good. It must be very therapeutic for the Chiefs' offense after some of the slander they were getting. 
from us during the season. Oh, they don't look like the same Chiefs, even though they had one loss on the whole year. For the Bucks to win, basically, they have to basically get to Mahomes and get some opportune turnovers on defence and just be a bit more consistent on offence. They have to win on first down and set, set up these second and shorts and that, because that's where their offence that's where their offense thrives. Yeah, play action pass as yeah, exactly. well. That needs to get going. Kill them deep. And it, it, to be honest, establishing a run game is going to be vital for them as well. And Fournette, Ronald Jones. I expect like Fournette will receive the bulk of the carries this week. Well, I hope so anyway. But I I came into this podcast with an attitude like, well, the Bucks could win it. Like the Chiefs are most likely to, but now I'm just completely Chiefs, having like talked over with you guys. I just don't. I'll be rooting for the Bucks, but there's there's nice. no way they win it. So Stan, you're you're definitely with the Chiefs then. I'm locking it in. I'm locking, locking it in. in. You got a score prediction? Um, I'll go back to you on that one, Joe. Yeah, you don't you don't have to give a score prediction. What a coward, Matt. Yo, prove how not m- much of a coward you are. And I'm not a coward, but I am going to say the Chiefs, and I am going to say twenty-four to ten. Ooh, twenty-four to they hold them under fourteen points. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Chiefs jump out early doors, and Brady's all like, "Oh no, I don't know what to do." That was the very Matt way to analogy of the how he predicts the game. I'll go through. I'll go 34 20, 24. There 34, he goes. Look at him. Start. Oh, you've stolen slews, right, it looks I'll like. Go, I'll go 34-21 Chiefs. I don't see how you could feasibly pick the Bucks. I don't see how you could pick anyone against the Chiefs if they play well. Exactly. Their best bet is if it comes out, they just need to turn it into a shootout and hope the Bucks can, hope the, hope the Bucks defence can cover deep down the stretch, basically. That's... Yeah. I mean, uh, any year, it's kind of hard to pick against Brady and in Super Bowls, generally speaking, they tend to go his way. But I think the Chiefs have just got a bit too much for the the Bucks really to to keep up with. Yeah, the Bucks don't have the necessary talent on defense on the outside, not pie. They need each of those big moments to go for the Bucks. That's how they win. That's all that needs to happen, though. Like a few big plays to the Bucks, and they could be completely in this game and, and in a position to win it. I can see it being closer than, I mean, twenty-four to ten. I think it's. Quite. They, they could just they they could just ridiculous. afford to torch them though because of how aggressive the box corners play and the, and the, the fact that Mahomes, Mahomes is just able to freeze the safeties with his eyes. Mm. I, I would say Mahomes has dissected much more competent corner tandems than than the one he's going to be playing on Sunday. Yeah, Murphy Bunting and Colton Davis is yeah. hardly. Um, I mean, Murphy Bunting's got got has made some nice plays in the post in the postseason, but mm. it's kind of masked the fact that him and Davis haven't been very good over the course of the season in general and are now playing Todd has done the a good best job, quarterback though. in the game. And do you think we undersell Todd Bowles a Todd bit Bowles because of what happened job, in though. New York? Like He's cons- consistently had like top five defences whenever he's been a coordinator. I think it's the classic thing of Todd Bowles is a very, very good defensive coordinator. I don't think maybe... Maybe he's just not the right person to be a head coach. Well, and maybe it was not- because he was in New York. Yeah, and that's, um, there that's is that as well. Fine as well. You've got guys like Steve Spagnolo, Greg Roman, who've been fine as coordinators, and I think they should just stay that way. And um, exactly, I think Todd, Todd Bowles has finally found peace in the fact that maybe is that insider knowledge, Stan? Me, but I'm a very good coordinator. And I mean, yeah, I don't think you can so speak like, for, for Todd Bowles. Bowles. Yeah, I, 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 on this, sorry, on this note as well, Joe. Like we we've spoken before about Eric Bieniemy and the fact that he hasn't ended up with a head coaching role. And I know there's been a large outcry in terms of, you know, it, it's ridiculous that he hasn't ended up with a role and all that. But I wonder if it is a case of, well, as maybe Eric Bienmi should could just be a very, very, very good offensive mind in a coordinator role. And he deserves a shot, you know, though. I think it's the difference. Just because you're a great... He may, he does deserve a shot, true. But I mean, I, I, I don't think necessarily we should always be like, this coordinator is really, really good. He must get head coaching. Oh, because be, being a head yeah. coach isn't for everyone. To be fair, that's a very good point. I'm, I'm, I think I made that error when I, when I wrote my article earlier this year about the head coaching candidates. I basically just put down the best coordinators. And looking back on it, there's so there's so much more that goes into head coaching other than just being a great coordinator. And whilst that's true about that, perhaps being true in the enemy's case, I do mm. think that he is he, he does deserve a shot. Here's the thing. Sorry, I get what you're saying, that not everyone that is a great coordinator is a great head coach. But if you do an amazing job at your job, you deserve the opportunity for a promotion or a better job elsewhere. So if you if you perform like this as a, 
offensive coordinator. You deserve at least the opportunity. I think it's interesting that that's the that's like the progression though. Like you're a good offensive coordinator, and then it's like, oh, you, if you're really good at your job, because that's you the get... coaching hierarchy. That's just how it works. You can't say you're a good head coach until you've been the position below that. Sorry, Joe, you've been waiting for a while. I have, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's fuck all you. we have time for. To- <laughs> <laughs> no. Fuck you. Fuck you. No, I think if it, in Eric Bieniemy's case, though, if you look around at the open positions when everyone was talking about him, maybe he just thought, screw it, I'll stick another year in the Chiefs. I'm in a much better situation here than I am going to be in any one of these teams. He mm, took the interviews, didn't get the job. That's what it boiled down to. He said he, said he wanted a job. He, that all of his players deserved a job. Yeah, but I think if you take an interview at the Texans, they come back to you with an offer. Is it it Is wasn't it... just that though. It wasn't he interviewed for more yeah, teams than just the Texans. Here's here's the thing as well though. Why would you turn down a head coaching job if you get offered one? None of the jobs are gonna be great because someone just got fired for being bad. Because you're the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs and you could just hold out for a better situation. We, we always see it. We always see this happen. Why why would you go from being the defensive coordinator of the Patriots to the head coach of the Detroit Lions? Why would you go from being the defensive coordinator for the 49ers to the head coach of the New York Jets? You're always in a better position from offensive coordinator because there's a reason you're being looked at. It's because you've done a good job at a good team. So is it absurd to say that in interviewing, he might have been like, I don't really want a head coaching job this year. Yeah, because then why bother taking the interview? That would be a little bit absurd. Well, we've managed to speak about coaching hires for the past, I'd say, 10 minutes, which is wildly off track of anything. But uh, finally, my my prediction for the Chiefs <laughs> versus the Bucks, which I still haven't said yet, is the Chiefs. But a little bit closer than Matt's score. Uh, I'm going to say 31 to 28. I think it's going to be very high scoring. And that's probably all we've got time for this week thank you so much for downloading this week's episode of the podcast you can follow us on instagram and twitter at the dropback on facebook at the dropback uk check your dms if you've liked and uh, participated in our competition post for the hickory smoke house super bowl banquets that will be hopefully arriving your way you'll have your dm by the time this podcast comes out or it'll be my fault yeah, we should be sending them out on wednesday and that's to hold slew accountable for it we're gonna slide into dm you can check out new articles on the dropback.com i've been joe i've been sam i've been matt and i've been stan and until next time bye the dropback with sam lewis matt burns peak joe costanzo and stan wilson in Chumper.